Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, and I am live at the Corner Market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Rhino tucked away back in the Super Talk headquarters studio will be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. And that would be before Good Friday, and we're going to be off tomorrow, right? We got best ofs broadcasting tomorrow. Oh yeah, pre-recorded tomorrow. shows. Pre-recorded shows. That's what I thought. Uh, on the program today, right uh, here, as we are sitting in the corner market, and of course they're starting the, the lunch preparation, Rhino, and that's always uh, a bit of a problem when the olfactory senses are being tickled in a positive way. Mike Souton, COO of Roberts Companies, will join us here in just a couple of minutes. And then uh, Dr. Idilo Subaro, Dean of the College of Osteopathic Medicine and Professor of Clinical Sciences at William Carey University, Representative Jansen Owen, Mike Sowden, of course, a couple of times uh, uh, additionally in the program. Dr. Joe Paul, president of the University of Southern Mississippi at 12.05. The mayor of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Toby Barker, joins us at uh, 12.20. So, big show lined up today. Looking forward to that. The New York Times published an article that i got to share this right off the bat because, honestly, I'm astonished. The New York Times, no, no bastion of conservatism are they, an opinion article that entitled, The Trump Indictment is a Legal Embarrassment. I'm shocked at this, honestly. But when you dig into the details of the case, yes, it is a legal embarrassment. And what's complicated about this case, 34 felony counts, all of which claim that Mr. Trump falsified business records, that's a misdemeanor. The only way that rises to the level of felony is if the falsification that is alleged, it, wherein uh, there was hush money paid to porn actress Stormy Daniels, was done in an effort to uh, cover up election funds, use of election funds, campaign funds for that purpose. And that is even shaky as to whether or not 
that is a violation of federal election law. But what the heck is a DA getting involved in that for, a, uh, a Manhattan DA? That doesn't make any sense. So this is a long shot at best. But the left-wing media, Rhino, if you saw this, they're melting down. And again, they're all sharing the same talking points, the same narrative. It's a somber occasion. <laughs> and that, they're acting like they're, they're so melancholy and they're, they're so so sober, you know, and, and so just sad about this occasion where a former president is indicted and arraigned. But under the table, they're clicking their heels in jubilation. We got Trump. We got Trump. It's so ridiculous. And it's honestly, it makes us look silly. I believe, on the global stage. Uh, later on in the program, I'll, I'll share some thoughts about what's really at play here and what I think we need to be doing to get everything back on track. But I think we're ready now for uh, Mike Southern, COO of Roberts Company. Uh, Roberts Company, Inc., which operates, of course, DBA as Corner Market. So we've got uh, Mike right here on the Element Wealth Studios set in the midst of the corner market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg. Mike, good to see you again, sir. Great to be here, and thank you for being here. We look forward to this every year. Well, I know, we do, too, and I noticed uh, once again you've got uh, the stores all decked out uh, for Easter, lots of uh, Easter-oriented goods. It's a big time for you, isn't it? It is. This is this is kind of the beginning of the summer season for us. You've got Easter, then you got Mother's Day, and then, of course, Memorial Day and Fourth of July. This is kind of when it all starts, and Easter is really important to us. Obviously, it's a... It's a family day. Our stores are now closed on Easter Sunday so that our people can spend uh, the Easter holiday with their families. We think that's important. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're just excited about it. Whatever you want to get, whether it's an Easter lily or a ham or whatever, we've got it, and we're excited to be here. Yeah, and it's spring, so you got the flowers oh, out on yeah. the front when you yeah. come in. We've sold a bunch of I might of take some of those home. It, they're good prices. And, I know. You know it's, it's, they're great flowers. We've good got a, quality. Yeah, we've got a grower and uh, a local grower that does that. Okay. So it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, this is great time of year for us it, uh, absolutely and so uh, the first thing i noticed when i walked in this morning mike as is always the case is the dedicated staff all busy at their posts getting things ready for the crowds that will be coming in here later on we are so lucky if it wasn't for the people you know they they hung in there through the covid and then they, they yeah we just got great people and we're just very very lucky and we we know that and we do our best to let them know that so this is a great time for me they're listening to tell them you know without without them we don't exist absolutely and i know uh the roberts family the roberts company renowned for giving back to the community yes, yes. this that's very important to us well we live here we we work here we worship here yeah that, that's part of in our uh thinking is a part of responsibility of a, a, a local business is to give back yeah you know we're, we're, we're blessed we're we're happy we're successful we need to make sure the people that shop with us are too yeah, every absolutely. chance we get we do absolutely so let's talk about business a little bit uh what about the supply chain situation has that improved somewhat it's getting better unfortunately okay. our customers are still are still struggling because prices have not let up right and we don't see anytime soon that's going to happen so we're we're hoping that will happen soon uh, as far as getting product that's getting better and better. 
Are you doing your best to kind of uh, keep that to a minimum? I know you got to operate. you got to turn a profit. you got to yeah. pay the bills. But we're the last one to receive the product before we pass it to the customer. Sure. So there's lots of times we can't make yeah. what we need to. And this is just those, you know, there's times in this business that you just have to say, hey, we've got to take care of our customers. Sure. We, we make a little bit less, but we're going to be here for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years. So we're going to take care of them. And, we, you know, we needed to let up for them yeah because some of the prices are they're, they're ridiculous and we know and our customers pointed out to us and we know it yeah uh, so we you know we just every chance we get we try to buy a little bit better we try to be a little bit smarter sure uh, so that we don't have to pass it on to them because it's it's horrible we hate doing it are you seeing changes in buying habits oh yes Mike, yes yeah. absolutely uh, and, and you know sometimes for us it's not necessarily a good thing but we have to realize what families have to do what they have to do sure so we have to be we have to be proactive and be aware of it and 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 try to staff our stores and and stock our stores with things they want and they need yeah it's, absolutely we see a change in so you're adjusting buying. to the have consumption to. habits you have, have to, to right it, yeah it's sure. something every Monday we meet and we look at it and we watch it and you know we we see things that that, uh, for instance, people are buying more and more frozen food. Okay. They're they're storing it. Okay. And that's hmm. not necessarily a good thing for us when we sell fresh. Yeah, but, sure. So we better make sure we're in stock on frozen food. Okay. Uh, it's just it's a different it's a different way of thinking. I think people out there right now are a little bit skittish of what's going on. Yeah. We have to be aware of it. Yeah. So with Easter approaching, Easter Sunday typically a, a big family day, a big family. Uh, eating day. Yes. Uh, it, particular products that you stock specifically for that? Well, this you know, for people forever and ever and ever have had hams on sure. Easter. You know, yeah. you've got the yams. My family. Got, yeah. <laughs> so we, we make sure we're in stock on that, and we make sure that they're priced right. And yeah. you know, you got the Easter lilies. A lot of people will take Easter lilies home. But they'll also take them to the the churches and things like that. So we want to make sure we have that. Uh, plenty of cakes, the the berry bird cake. So you just you know, you think about what your family eats. That's what their family yeah. eats. And and we want to make sure we're in stock, and we are. We right. will be in stock. Always are whenever I'm here, for sure. So did, does it start to ramp up on this day, Thursday, leading up to Easter? Is there kind of a peak period? How's that work? Thursday evening, now, of course, the weather's not going to cooperate yeah. with us, but uh, Thursday evening usually starts to get, but Good Friday is very, very okay. strong okay. Than, than Saturday. And we've noticed, you know, we started closing on Easter Sunday during COVID. Yeah. Uh, to give our people a break. And we said, you know what, we're just going to stay closed. So we've noticed that Saturday becomes a little bit busier, and then, you know, what they don't want or okay. what they get, they'll get it Monday. Sure. It's a, our customers really have helped us because they're like, good for you. Yeah. Give the people the day off. I've uh, I've, I've been to the store a few times uh, up my way in Jackson there uh, at uh, Maywood Mart. How's that doing? Yeah, it's doing very well. Yeah. Very, Looks fact, great. That's where I'm headed uh, okay. today up there. We're just going to check on things. Yeah, it's doing great. Yeah. Uh, we, we love the Jackson area. We've got good people there. We've got uh, four stores there, and uh, it's, it's doing really well. They're all four doing really well. We're well, that's happy good to hear. That's happy good to hear. Well, Mike, uh, once again, thanks to the Roberts and uh, to Corner Market and, and all their giving back to the community. Thanks for being just a, a, a great uh, a pillar of the community because these kinds of uh, great grocery stores are so desperately needed everywhere. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah. thank, you, thank you for being here. This is a big event for us. Absolutely. Mike Southern, COO of Roberts Company, also operating as the corner market. And we're uh, taking a break right here, coming back with more. We've got uh, Dr. Idolo Saburo from uh, William Carey at 1037. Stay with us. Coming right back.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the corner market on Hardy Street in the hub city, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Moe's on the ceasefire text line says, Gerard, I'd bet some red state DAs are looking hard to see if Hunter or Joe Biden had any questionable business dealings in their states. I, I think that's probably true as well. Uh, you know, my thoughts about this are that uh, while we're all trying to do gotchas on um, political figures, obviously high-level political figures, a, a former president and a cur- current president, looking into their various external business dealings, and, and it's they look somewhat uh, questionable. Certainly, Hunter Joe Biden's there's a mound of evidence that, that indicates that. In this case, with with Donald Trump, he says he didn't have an affair with Stormy Daniels. I don't know. It's a he. It's a, he said she said deal. They're just finger pointing. Who knows? Just pick which figure you want to believe uh, in such situations. Um, the hush money thing, it just seems a, a little specious at best. And the recording of that transaction in his business records. But the DA's got a problem here because he's got to connect that to some sort of act of uh, a crime of, that would rise to the level of being a felony. How do you do that? I think he's got some serious troubles. And that's why even the, even the New York Times comes out and says... This is a legal embarrassment. Uh, the case is weak on its legal and jurisdictional basis that a state judge, the New York Times reports, may even dismiss this case and mitigate all the damage. It's probably, they believe, uh, they speculate that it's probably headed to federal court for a year. And it could lose grounds or lose on the grounds of federal preemption. It's the same thing we talked about in the last segment, that really only the federal government has jurisdiction over federal campaign finance matters and various filing requirements. So it's just this is really trying to um, thread the old needle, as they say, but I guess they got what they want, and the mainstream media is calling it a somber day, but they don't really think that. They're... they're uh, euphoric about this this is what they want they want to see their man go down and i believe it's because they fear that he is not only a serious contender in 2024 for the white house but likely victor in the election also overnight robert f kennedy jr you seen this rhino? He says he's going to challenge Joe Biden on the Democrat side for the White House. 69 years old. Son, of course, of Senator Robert F. Kennedy, um, who was assassinated. He is a candidate for president, 1968, I believe. 
he is a, a, obviously a hardcore left winger that is all about climate and climate change. That's kind of the focal point of his campaign. But looks like he's going to suit up and challenge Mr. Biden on the Democrat side for president. Remember, we already have one Democratic candidate. That's uh, Marianne Williamson. Nobody seems to know who she is, but she joined the race last month. She ran in uh, 2020 as well. So we'll see where all that goes. But I'm just shocked that even the folks at the New York Times come out and call this case an embarrassment. Meanwhile, we got, uh, you know about the story with respect to Bud Light. They have really agitated many of their loyal supporters with their latest uh, trans-influencer campaign. I think a PR blunder of a uh, high order of magnitude. You guys have probably seen that. I know you've seen the videos, Amateur Rhino, of this, this trans spokesperson for Bud Light. Why do they got to do that? I don't get it. It's, it's like you say, why are we pandering to such a small population, small percentage of the population? Uh, Especially a brand like Budweiser, who right. not all that long ago in the grand scheme of things was focused on... Marketing machismo. I mean, how long ago was it we had the Real Men of Genius series where it was constantly poking fun at the the little guy that actually is the hero of society, like the man that invented the foam number one finger, or the guy that invented the the, the helmet that you could put two beer cans in and drink from both at the same time, like making it silly, but also having a little bit of fun with machismo. Now it's an about-face where you've got a dude who's dressing like a woman, acting like a little girl, except he doesn't pass as a woman, and no woman or little girl actually act as flamboyant as this dude does. Maybe they were influenced by the U.S. military that seems to be recruiting using the same narrative and the same sorts of spokespeople. But... Uh, hold my beer, no pun intended. Yeah, there is a pun intended. I, I was not honest about that. <laughs> Jack Daniels. You seen this one right now? Jack Daniels teams up with RuPaul Drag Race alums in Small Town Big Pride campaign. <laughs> and I'm looking at the ad here. They're having a, a drag queen summer glamp, they call it, G-L-A-M-P. And the ad features three drag queens that are posing in what looks like the, the uh, distribution facility where Jack Daniels is stored in the iconic wooden barrels. <laughs> and so Travis Tritt posts this on his Twitter, says all the Jack Daniels U.S. drinkers, and of course using the hashtag Jack Daniels U.S., the company's Twitter handle, should take note. So now we got Jack Daniels. It's just so upside down. Why why do we have to pander and introduce this whole 
sexual narrative and gender narrative specifically in business, in everything. Can't they just make whiskey? Can't they just make beer? Can't they just play football and baseball? Can't they just treat, teach reading, writing, and arithmetic? Just do what your main goal is, your main function in society is. How did we shift away so much? Why does every company and every educational institution, every seemingly every government agency, why do they all have, think they have to engage in deep social activism around gender and race? How does that enhance and fulfill their mission? I just don't get it. Did you see the Kid Rock response to the Bud Light ad? I, I caught an, a headline on it, but I didn't dive into it. Have you seen it, Rhino, what was said there? Oh, yeah. He took all the uh, Bud Light out of his fridge and put it on a table or a stump or something out back and went to town on it with an automatic weapon and shot it all to pieces. Mm, unbelievable. It, it, it just seems like that... They they have to go there. I don't know if they're pressured internally by people that align with uh, the notion of foisting all this gender narrative and race narrative. It seems like we kind of shifted from the 2020 period where everything was about race and we were canceling uh, all these brand names and tearing down statues and introducing the race narrative into every aspect of of uh, the private sector and to a great extent the uh, educational community for sure in government but now it, it, it seems like we've transitioned to, to gender and more specifically transgender I, I don't get it again I think most Americans uh, agree with me here that when you watch, say, professional sporting events, you just want to see sports. When you watch entertainment, you just want to see entertainment. And uh, think about all these. Uh, I'm told I didn't watch it, but the Country Music Awards. I'm I'm told they were full of all sorts of social justice messaging and and discussion and and aspects embedded into the event itself. Uh, I didn't see it. I don't typically watch that sort of stuff, but I'm, I'm told that. It's uh, virtue signaling on steroids, of course. Mike from Madison, by the way, says the indictment against Trump is weak. The DA definitely has a statute of limitations problem, and he makes felony claims. But to prove a felony, he must show those documents were falsified in furtherance of another crime, and the indictment doesn't say what the other crime is. That's exactly what I took from it as well, Mike, reading a lot of reports about it, that in order for those misdemeanors falsifying business records to be considered in the court, and ruled as a felony, you have to have falsified the records to aid commission of a felony crime, but he hasn't told us what that is. It just doesn't make any sense. It's so politically motivated, it's not even funny. Dr. Idolo Subaru, Dean of the College of Osteopathic Medicine and Professor of Clinical Services at William Carey, is up next. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk, Mississippi. We are at the corner market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We're live in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Dr. Idolo Subaru. He is the Dean of the College of Osteopathic Medicine and Professor of Clinical Sciences. That's a mouthful there, Doctor, at William Carey University. But we appreciate you coming down to the corner market and uh, joining us today. How are you today, sir? Oh, we're doing great, and we're just so thankful, uh, Gerard, that you're, you're bringing the show here to, to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and uh, really happy to share some of the good news we've got going on at, uh, at our College of Osteopathic Medicine. Yeah, a- absolutely, and that's uh, why we're glad to have you on today. So give us an update. Uh, graduation coming up pretty soon, I guess? Oh, yeah, graduation. Uh, we're really thrilled about that. Um, we've got uh, Delbert Hoseman coming. He's yeah. going to be our uh, graduation keynote. Uh, really excited about that. Sure. Um, we've got, uh, you know, this class in particular was an, was an excellent class. They were challenged with COVID and all the uh, challenges that were going on, but uh, they persevered very well. Uh, all of them placed in very exciting and competitive uh, programs around the country, uh, many of them in Mississippi, and, and we're just excited about that. I think, you know, it's about, um, you know, we're here because of uh, the uh, challenge of we just have a, the fewest number of docs of any state in the country, and particularly primary care docs. And so that's our mission, to, to graduate uh, doctors to go into primary care. Right. So desperately needed as well. What, what does the landscape of the workforce look like right now? It seems like every time I turn around, doctor, I, I read some report about the shortage of health care professionals across the spectrum of health care. That is absolutely correct. Uh, and Mississippi, you know, our, our physician population is getting older, getting closer to retirement. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a big rural state. A lot of physicians tend to want to practice in more of the urban environments. So, uh, you know, we've got challenges in front of us, but, you know, we're committed uh, to being part of that solution. Uh, part of that strategy is uh, growing residency programs in some of these community, uh, in some of these rural areas, and, and I think we've been very successful with that, and we're excited. We're seeing our numbers go up. We started our medical school. There were 100 DOs practicing in the state. Today, there are 1,300 uh, plus, wow. so it's, it's a really uh, exciting time to see all that growth. Right. So with respect to the uh, uh, the school itself, William Carey and the program, are there other colleges in the state that have similar programs? Uh, no. Well, we are the second medical school in the, in, uh, the state of Mississippi, okay. the first being University of Mississippi Medical Center, which right. is an outstanding uh, institution there in, in Jackson. Okay, so and what's the enrollment now? So we are technically the largest medical school in Mississippi. This last class is a, a class size of 200. So we're by class size, we're the largest medical school, and that just happened uh, over the last academic period. Most of the students uh, from Mississippi, from the area, come yeah, from all over. It is. We, we'll take them from all over, but our primary mission is Mississippi and the Gulf South. About 80% are from Mississippi and the Gulf South. Over 50% come from uh, Mississippi, Louisiana. So what would compel a student to enter the program at William Carey versus, I guess, a more traditional MD-type program? How's that, yeah, how do they make that it's decision? A, it's, a, it's a great question. I think the, the key for us is our focus on primary care and sort of a – we talk about a servant's heart, a servant physician, and uh, our focus on rural and, and underserved areas. We're number one in the nation by U.S. News & World Report, putting our kids out there into those rural areas. And I think that's the type of – student 
that we're attracting into our program. I got you. And, and just from a, a practical perspective, how important is it for our population uh, to seek regular primary care? I mean, how oh. important is that in, in avoiding more serious health problems? It's absolutely critical. I mean, if you're um, not being able to have access to see a doctor, uh, and particularly a primary care physician, uh, oftentimes your first encounter is in the emergency department. And at that point, you may have had, you know, high blood pressure, things of that nature that could have been, we could have gotten in early on. And if you don't take care of that, that can lead to heart attacks and strokes. So I, I hear so that. Important. I hear that regularly from uh, my circle of, of physician friends that if we could have just gotten to them or they would have had some sort of care and treatment before it got to the urgent, more acute point, and they end up in the ER, which yeah. drains resources and costs more money and, and more importantly, usually results in worse health outcomes. That is absolutely correct. That is uh, critical. And that's what we're trying to change here in Mississippi, uh, focus on uh, doing a lot more screening for blood pressure, diabetes, looking at uh, uh, ways to be able to uh, encourage better nutrition. We're here at Corner Market. Yeah. Uh, nutrition is such a key to health, both uh, prevention and if, you're, if, you, if you do have uh, diabetes or obese, looking at nutrition as ways to actually be helpful to you. One of the one of the grievances I hear from my physician friends is that the patients simply won't comply with their instructions, with their directions. In fact, one of my friends this past weekend said, "I bet ninety percent of them don't do what we ask them to do." You know, you hear that as well. Oh yeah, so uh, absolutely. Uh, but I think part of the challenge is the system that we're currently practicing in. Uh, that system has um, somewhat unrealistic demands. Uh, you know, healthcare should never become McDonald's. Healthcare should never become, you know, Wendy's. We've got to be able to to look at our patients, not look at them as a disease, and here's your disease and here's your treatment. We've got to look at them as a person, what's going on in their lives, what's happening, and take that time to spend with them. But there there are some systemic challenges in trying to be able to do that. And we as physicians are human. We get frustrated at sure. times. And, and, this is and that, sometimes the patient isn't doing what they're supposed to do, too. I mean, it, it goes of course. And, and isn't that really... Uh, an important role in a, in, a, in a critical feature of just primary care is hey, having that sort of individualized. Oh, because a lot of times you end up uh, uh, getting that primary care on a regular basis, an annual basis, depending on your age. could be a semi-annual. You may have some other issues they're tracking. Sure. But you're seeing that same physician and, and medical staff yes. uh, routinely over and over, repetitively. And, and they've got your history. They're familiar with you. And, and not, not only your your physical, um, your, your physical status, but your mental status as well, because I, that seems to be what I take from my primary care physician friends. They do dig into that a little bit. It's subtly you don't know it. Oh, absolutely. We we don't know sometimes why we do certain things, or maybe why we're attracted to certain foods that we shouldn't be attracted to, or certain activities perhaps we shouldn't be attracted to. Um, and sometimes there is a little bit of something there we can we can unravel. Uh, we certainly want to prevent things in the first place and the way to do that is to build trust so we want doctors and that's what we're trying to graduate at our program our doctors that get to know the community you know in the first two years our kids are going to the churches uh we do a lot of screening of, of patients in churches uh you know so that we get to we meet the patient where they are, understand things, have health discussions. Um, and I think that forms them in the right way when they go out there um, 
to be confident and and to be able to to walk with our patients. I always say we got to walk with them. How does the the um School of Osteopathic Medicine at William Carey. How, how do they do as far as their graduates staying in Mississippi? Oh, it, as of right now, when you look at our, when a student graduates uh, from our program or UMMC or any medical school, they got to go on to residency. Mm-hmm. And it's after residency that they come back to okay. practice. In that regard, we're over, at this time, over 50% of those that have come through Carey, that percentage is, is staying in Mississippi. Um, it's exciting. We want more, of course. And the way we get more is by having more residency programs throughout the state. We need more obstetrician programs, community-based. We need pediatric programs. Uh, you know, mamas and babies are so important to us, and, and those are the areas we got to got, got to focus on in this So state. the program, the university, truly is the pipeline yes. of the future health care professionals to take care of the people of Mississippi. Amen, brother. Absolutely. I mean, that's, 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 our, that's what it's all about, is it not? That, that is what it's all about. That's where the rubber meets the road. Yes, sir. That, that is awesome. Um, what about the staff, the uh, the instructional staff at the we, at William we, Carey? We are fantastic. You know, our program differs from UMMC in that the first couple of years, our students are here in Hattiesburg, uh, are part of the community. But in their third and fourth year, they go out to other parts of the state of Mississippi. And we lean on community hospitals, community physicians. Uh, and I have to say, we're all rowing in the same direction. If we want good outcomes. We all got to row in the same direction. I really believe it's those community physicians in the in those parts of the in the other parts of our state that are that are really imparting that knowledge and building the fabric and 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 inspiring our students to say yeah i want to come back and i want to be part of this community in the future that's good you, you see a lot of reports about uh, students that maybe or just individuals at that point of trying to figure out their career direction or, or staying away from health care yeah. is that your experience or it, it is it is a challenge uh sometimes in today's world i do think uh, you know, COVID had a significant impact on that. Um, but, I, you know, I'll say this. At least the kids that we're taking in right now, I think the sincerity level is right where we want them to be, yeah. to be a great doctor. Well, that's awesome. Well, uh, I, I've heard nothing but positive things about uh, the program, the university, and, and particularly the program. And it's important, uh, really, to the state of Mississippi. So we appreciate what you guys do. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank yep. you, Gerard. Yeah, we man. appreciate you, brother. It. Thank you, buddy. Have a great show. Yeah. We're stepping aside for a break. We're at the Corner Market in Hattiesburg. We're coming right back uh, after the top of the hour. We've got Dr. Joe Paul, president of the University of Southern Mississippi. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Corner Market. We're down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi today on Hardy Street, right in the thick, in the middle of the hub city of Mississippi, Hattiesburg. 
So old Robert Reich's at it again, Rhino. He, uh, gosh, I just, I get nauseated reading his tweets. Here's what he said. If this country was truly pro-life, we would have Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, gun control, universal child care, and a living wage. Really? A living wage? Are people dying because they don't have income? They don't have wages? Because there are 10 million jobs open in the country. Uh, In fact, it's quite the opposite. You don't work. You make more than you do if you're out there producing for society. That's what's upside down. The right-wing agenda isn't about life. It's about control. Oh, that's rich there, Robert. The right-wing agenda is about control. Said the guy that wants to control every aspect of your life and is affiliated with a party that seeks to do so in every single policy matter that they advance throughout their entire twisted agenda. Another tweet right after that one, the CEO to worker pay gap is now 399 to 1. In 1965, the ratio was 21 to 1. Trickle-down economics was always a sham. Nothing has ever trickled down. Hello? That's so wrong. I mean, I could cut that apart, but I need about two hours of, of discussion time to go through how things have changed since 1965 for the better. If you cut out all the CEO pay of the major corporations in this country, just pushed it down to zero, that doesn't even move the needle in terms of allocating all of that all of that compensation across pay for workers. Not only that, if you did that, you'd end up with inferior individuals running these companies, which means they're less successful, which means they can pay lower wages. They would have to pay lower wages just to make ends meet. We need a prosperity agenda. I was thinking about all the air that's been sucked out of the room now with the Trump indictment arraignment. And, of course, uh, on the right, there is a uh, strong push to go after Hunter and and Joe Biden. And, and clearly, they, to me, they broke the law and they should be held accountable. I agree with that. The, the point I'm making is that because we have in Joe Biden such a shady character to start with, who rose to become president of the United States. And and we've got Donald Trump, Trump that has a, a bit of baggage, but more importantly, we've got a left-wing media and many people in this country that are obsessed with so-called getting Trump. And Trump makes that point, and he's right. But when can we get back to focusing on a prosperity agenda? That's what needs to happen in this country, because... All the things, this is what the left doesn't get, people like Robert Reich. All the things they want, they, they get fixed. They certainly are improved when this country is prosperous. But we need a prosperity agenda to do that. A strong economy means that Social Security and Medicare are on better footing. Think about it. That means you've got more people working, making higher wages, and that means they're contributing more into those programs to, to ensure their solvency. Families take home more pay with a prosperity agenda. 
Entrepreneurship is promoted, so desperately needed. It's what built this country. And with the rise of of, uh, income because of prosperity, we get closer to balancing the budget because more revenue is produced for the federal government. If we boost supply because of prosperity, we're tackling inflation. And the other thing, uh, Rhino, that comes up all the time, it's the most prosperous nations that are the, quote, greenest. You want to address climate change? You want to reduce carbon emissions and ensure clean air and water? That happens in nations that are prosperous because it's innovation that addresses those issues because you're ascending Maslow's hierarchy and you've got individuals and companies that are more concerned about the environment. Just a massive amount of change, positive change that's occurred since 1965, Robert Reich, along those lines to make our, our, our air and water way cleaner. I can't help but think about the old weekly readers we got in grade school showing these photos of this cloud of smog over America's largest cities. That just doesn't exist anymore because of technology and innovation and prosperity. They just don't get it. They they think that that you have to make people and companies and, and successful people have to be pulled back in order to achieve their left-wing agenda. It ain't true. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. It's Dr. Joe Paul next. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays, live from the Corner Market in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, on this Friday Eve. My apologies. I jumped a bit ahead there on the schedule. Dr. Joe Paul, the president of the University of Southern Mississippi, will join Middays at 12.05. 12.05, not 11.05. I think we got this whole hour to ourselves here, uh, Rhino, and then uh, except for the final segment, 11.50, of course, Mike Salden, COO of Roberts Company, Inc., the parent company of Corner Market, is on the road and is going to dial in and give us an update, so we look forward to that at 12:20, after we visit with Dr. Paul of uh, Southern Miss, we'll we'll talk to Toby Barker, the mayor of Hattiesburg. So we look forward to those interviews, and we thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Did have to travel through some uh, torrential rains down uh, 49 here, just uh, north of our position in Hattiesburg. Uh, about a 15-mile stretch on 49. It was covered in a red on the radar, raining quite hard. Had to slow down a bit, but got here in the nick of time to launch the show. And everybody, be careful out there when you're driving in the rain. Looks like we're going to have a bit of that uh, for the next two or three days, uh, including uh, Easter weekend. So that's kind of disappointing. I like the sunshine when it's Easter. But we'll just have to deal with it. So, yesterday, 
or I guess it was Tuesday, pardon me, I'm losing the track of time here, uh, when Mr. Trump returned to Mar-a-Lago and delivered a speech. I, I will say this. I've said uh, this on the program before. I've, I've got to extend uh, a, a, a bit of um, uh, commendation here, a commendation to the former president, in that he didn't really dwell on the 2020 election. He didn't talk a lot about, if at all, about how the election was stolen, etc., which has kind of been his calling card, I think, up to this point. And he didn't really dwell on that a lot. So um, kudos to him for not diving into that, uh, that talking point. He did make a statement that I thought was spot on. I'll, I'll share it with you here. He said... With all we did, with all we did on energy, with all we did on the military, on on taxes, biggest tax cuts in history, the biggest regulation cuts in history, now, right now I should say, the USA is a mess. Our economy is crashing. Inflation is out of control. Our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard. Then our give up on energy independence and even energy dominance. So I think he's right to a great extent in his message there I do think that um, I, I like to see the fact that he stayed with that narrative and pitched that and pushed that message as opposed to continuously talking about how the election was stolen from him whether that's the case or not the fact is I think that harms him in his candidacy and I really wish we could just move past that because we're not going to change that. We're not going to fix it. It doesn't mean that we should not focus on uh, implementing whatever procedures and policies and, and laws and systems ne- as necessary to ensure fair and accurate and trued up elections. Absolutely we should. But we're not going to change 2020 at this point. He also said this. I felt this was really stirring. We are a nation in decline, and now these radical left lunatics want to interfere with our elections by using law enforcement. We can't let that happen. With all of this being said, and with a very dark cloud over our beloved country, I have no doubt, nevertheless, that we will make America great again. Stirring words from the former president. You know, it it uh, wouldn't have hurt me if he didn't use the word lunatic and invoke that in there i just wish we would stay away from the insults and the pejoratives and the those sorts of descriptive terms that i don't think really help but i I do agree that this is politically motivated that there we should all be concerned about the weaponization of our law enforcement and and justice systems there's no doubt about that that does that does uh, seem to be closer in alignment with with banana republics and third world countries and more importantly i think uh, communist regimes uh that do not engage in in democracy and uh, where the people don't uh, run the country and and uh, where the people don't uh, own their government <clears throat> rather uh, elites and uh, the politburo does and that's what happens in in china and in russia tyrants, dictators, authoritarians. This country starts to look more and more like that when you see what happened with respect to the indictment and arraignment of Donald Trump because it's 
it's it's just almost fantastic what this DA has concocted to get to that point. Something else that distinguishes America from other nations that we don't think a lot about that is critical and instrumental critical to our ongoing success instrumental into making America the greatest country on the face of the planet and that's private property rights these go all the way back to the founding of the country throughout the rest of the world in most cases the government has the property right not the private business landowner farmer uh, investor uh, lender, financier, entrepreneur. No, it's government. This is why the rule of law is so important because it's the rule of law. It's our laws that establish the framework for private property and the ownership thereof, the transfer of it, the acquisition of it, the valuation of it. All, all the, the financing of it. Those are critical elements of our economy. And I dare say we simply aren't uh, the same country that we are today without these private property rights. The founders understood that. They ensured that was embedded in our constitutional framework and our legal system. They understood the value of that. I found out this morning, Rhino, you may have been aware of this. I heard this on the Business Channel. Do you know that in Britain, this is kind of similar, somewhat related to private property, do you know that in Britain that you have to have a license for a television set? And the reason you do is because you pay a fee to, uh, to operate and own a television that is used to fund the BBC. Oh, yeah. Is, is that right? Did I hear that right this morning? Is that true? Yeah, there's been an, an increasing push to eliminate that, but there are stories going back decades of families that fell on hard times and couldn't afford to pay their license for their TV, and they would hide in their homes when the BBC man would come to knock on the door and ask them why they hadn't paid. But uh, the, the enforcement of it and actual punishment for it have have dropped dramatically because it's highly politically unpopular. I see. Well, uh, and what brought it up, what brought that discussion up uh, on the Business Channel this morning, <clears throat> you may have seen this, that Twitter has labeled, <laughs> of course, Twitter owned by Elon Musk, they've labeled NPR as state-affiliated media. And they're all they're all indignant over it. Well, it's true. They are. They're state affiliated media media. They're funded by the taxpayers. And so they're they're all bent out of shape and they're um, they're criticizing and condemning uh, Twitter for for labeling them as a such. But it's the truth. They are. Just accept it. And unfortunately, their their talking points, their journalism is left wing. It's left leaning. There's no secret about that. It's they they say they're they're in the middle of the road and they don't take political positions. They don't push any particular political philosophy or agenda. But you sure can't tell it when, when you read their their articles and consume their content, their radio and so forth. Seems pretty left wing to me. Uh, but 
I had no idea about the situation in Britain. I was a little little uh, surprised by that. Mo says you were also taxed by the number of doors in your home. You have to pay a tax to park your car, too. Yeah, I think that was actually changed from the window tax that was in place centuries <laughs> ago. But that's why if you see any pictures of old buildings in England and they have bricked up windows that was because they didn't want to have to pay a tax on all the windows they had they would just brick up some of them (laughs) unbelievable you mean people just have by human nature just have a way to get around all these these stupid things that government does that's the point there randy and starkville says in the late 60s lake pontchartrain was so polluted no swimming nor nor fishing crabbing shrimping by 78 it was clean enough to resume activities the clean air and water act made it a big difference it did but i agree with you randy and i and that's a great point about how we've corrected a lot of those issues but i also maintain that it is economic prosperity that makes all that possible we're coming right back here we're in the element well studios at the corner market in hattiesburg mississippi middays with gerard what what this is On Super Talk Mississippi. Need to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's REO Speedwagon. Wake up, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame people, and induct the wagon into the hall. Just makes sense. So, uh, just uh, something else about Trump's speech Tuesday, and again, the distinction between his philosophy of government vis a vis the economy and economic policy and Joe Biden's. Honestly, Joe Biden is driving us into an economic ditch. He's embracing what is called modern monetary theory. And what that really means, MMT for short, what that really means is that you can spend, you can borrow, you can produce deficits, you can rack up debt, you can print money, regulate, redistribute, and it has no impact on our economic stability that oh don't worry about that the and, and in fact monetary uh, modern monetary theory holds that taxes revenue are only necessary not to cover spending but to temper inflation you just got to have enough revenue coming in that we don't have uh, inflation as a result of radical spending, reckless spending. It's really just says, hey, just spend however you want. Don't worry about deficits. Don't worry about debt. Don't worry about increasing the money supply. Just tax enough to counter all those bad economic principles and actions, and that'll keep everything in check. And that's why I believe there's no interest in ever balancing the budget. I know our friend that listens regularly, Larry and Mize, um, was was asking yesterday a, a valid question. Who did I think was more conservative, 
uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman or his challenger, Chris McDaniel. And I wasn't trying to avoid the question, and I, and I wasn't trying to be argumentative, but I think it's back to define conservative. And, and the only reason I said that is because just like we can't agree on how many genders there are, we can't agree on what constitutes being conservative either, what the true underlying consensus principles are of conservatism. Um, and, and that's become a problem. One person's conservatism, as they would, as they would frame it, is uh, is another person's left wing nuttiness, and that's why we have, I think, issues uh, just getting the agenda sold to the electorate, and uh, so that we can get in in place leaders that can make the right decisions, have the difficult discussions have the courage to enact policy that honestly may not be wildly popular at first, but is really the only only way to get a hold of our, our financial difficulties at a minimal uh, at a minimum our financial challenges. So what is that exactly? Talking about what is conservatism and if you and Larry responded respectfully and said, well, it means lower taxes or total elimination of income taxes. Uh, and, and then you get into the situation where you start conflating federal policy and state policy. And he said, stop the spending, uh, for example, like a, a drunken sailor and um, ban abortion and implement school choice. I'm trying to remember, Larry, if you're listening um, your your list yesterday uh, as an example, and I think stop sending money to countries that, that hate us. I, I can't remember if that was uh, among your list as well. I asked Larry, should we have a balanced budget? Do you, do you support that at the federal level? And um, he said, and I knew it was a rhetorical question, and he said, of course I do. And so I'm with him. I do too. But then you get into the the, the difficulties of... Okay. Oh, he also said energy independence. I agree with that. Um, that even shouldn't even be, many of these things shouldn't even be a distinction but between what is considered conservative and what is considered left-leaning or liberal. It's amazing to me that, for example, being energy independent is, is even up for discussion as a distinction or, or identified as a distinction between uh, those on the left and those on the right. Seems like we all ought to have that as uh, as a goal we should all aspire to that as an example energy independence why in the world would we not want to be energy independent we we understand and know clearly the risks of that shouldn't we be concerned about that um the spending and taxing that's where you really get into the nuances and the distinctions because while folks on the right uh, including me or or um, have issues with unreasonable tax burden. The people on the left think it's not enough and want to impose it, but they only want to impose it on the most successful in society and corporations without really considering the negative economic consequences of such policies. With, from a spending perspective, I don't think they've ever met a dime they couldn't spend. And then when you look at the composition of the federal government and its spending, 
again, if you take Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, some of the other benefits, uh, some some of the other uh, programs, spending programs that are just just direct payments to Americans, such as SNAP, housing assistance, etc. And then you add on to do uh, to that the debt interest. You're you're now, by the way, I looked it up last night. Now it's seventy three percent, seventy three percent. So you got folks in the in the Republican camp and in the Democrat camp say can't touch any of that. Okay, so that leaves us with twenty seven percent of spending remaining to um, uh, to address. And the Republicans say can't touch defense. Okay, so now we're down to. 15% of total spending. And the Democrats say, say, can't touch any of that. So what do we end up with? An impasse. We get nothing done. And that's what's been going on forever. Um, and, and if you just look at the numbers, they're mind-boggling. When you think about spending $6 trillion this year at the federal level and producing a $1.4 trillion deficit, uh, where are you going to cut to balance the budget $1.4 trillion? When domestic spending is 1.7, you'd have to cut 70% of defense, 70% of all the rest of government, not counting Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, because everybody says you can't touch that. So that's why we can't fix this problem, can't address it. Unbelievable. And I, I don't know how we ever get together to address those issues. So you also got... You've also got Republicans who are pushing Joe Biden for a meeting to resolve this debt ceiling issue, and and uh, they're coming to the table saying we're going to have to cut some spending. But when you look at what McCarthy and the Republicans are proposing, the vast majority of it is future spending that hasn't really even occurred. It's not. It's not really like like student debt. That's the biggest line item in their list of spending items to cut. $500 billion of student debt. Well, we shouldn't even be doing that, the cancellation of it. Shouldn't be doing that to start with. <clears throat> That's not really changing the trajectory. If, that, if, you looked at, if you look at our deficit this year of $1.4 trillion, it doesn't have $500 billion of student debt forgiveness in it. That's just spending that's, that, the, that the Democrats want. That, but hasn't been enacted and hasn't been, you know, it's got legal challenges in court. So that's not really, it's checking a box, and I guess they can feel good about it, but it's not really addressing the fundamental problem of routine, normal pace of spending um, outpacing, exceeding revenue, producing a deficit. Malcolm from Tisha Mingo says energy independence shouldn't be conservative over liberal. It's what is very good for all. Why is that so hard for for Washington to understand? Well, you're right. That's what we said, Malcolm. But but so the folks on the left would say the way to achieve energy independence is just to consume a whole lot less, right? You just you can't you got to shrink your lifestyle. Everything's got to be cut. You can't consume as much energy. You've just got to change your lifestyle radically. And then they'd also say, so then that energy which you need for that much reduced lifestyle needs to all be green, renewable energy. can't have any fossil fuels. So energy independence doesn't just apply to oil and fossil fuels. It applies to all forms of energy. And it's a measurement of the amount which we produce versus the amount which we consume. You're independent when you... Don't consume more than you produce as a nation within our borders. 
No, they don't have an interest in that because we cannot meet those needs exclusively with green energy. We have to have fossil fuels. Even Joe Biden said more another 10 years. Well, that's a joke as well. We're going to need it much longer than 10 years. So, so that's the issue, Malcolm. I hope that addressed what you were saying. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about those same conservative principles, especially with a focus on, on spending and revenue from a state perspective, because that's where these two candidates for lieutenant governor, I think, depart a bit. We're coming right back at the corner market. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Two, three, four. Everyone, midday Super Talk, Mississippi. We're at the corner market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And Rhino, the line is forming towards the kitchen, the rotisserie, because they're dishing up some awfully good looking and good smelling food as well. So I might have to partake uh, before I get out of here today. They really do a great job. It, it is very good food. And the in the grocery store, we're starting to see a lot more traffic pile in here. It is Holy Thursday, tomorrow, Good Friday, in advance of Easter. Of course, we've got the best of shows broadcasting tomorrow as we step aside from the mic to um, partake in uh, the Good Friday occasion. The passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in advance of his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday in the Catholic Church. That is, uh, we were always taught the biggest day of the liturgical calendar is, in fact, uh, the resurrection of, uh, of Jesus, and that's coming up on Easter. Gosh, I remember catechism back at Old St. Mary's, how we had to learn all of that stuff every day, religion class, taught by um, either your teacher, which could be a lay person or a nun, and then once a week the priest from the parish would come over, one of the priests would come over and hold religion class, and if you didn't answer them questions right, they'd slap you with a yardstick. And I'm not even kidding about that. They were pretty strict, especially the Irish priests. But you know what? You learn your catechism because you didn't want to be hit with a yardstick. It got to where the the teachers uh, for our our classes, when they were waiting for in advance of the priest coming over to conduct that religion class, they'd lock up the yardsticks so they couldn't break them on, uh, on somebody's uh, back or knee or something. I guess that was what they call corporal punishment back then. That's just the way it was. On the ceasefire tax line, William in Greenville says, we have 40 years plus of natural gas in the Appalachian Basin. Yeah, I, I, no doubt, William, we've got abundant resources under our feet. And honestly, once again, prosperity, the prosperity agenda, the pursuit of profit is what led to all of these innovations, all of this new technology, such as fracking, which allows us uh, to, uh, to easily explore, locate, 
uh, and extract those resources out of the ground. But we can't do that. Uh, we just can't do that anymore because we've got to appease the green agenda. And I believe that that is having a negative impact on our economy. It's clearly driving up the price of everything we consume because energy and fuel is a cost component of of, every, of everything. So that's definitely a, a problem. So Ben from Madison says, I feel like I've heard what McDaniel would like to do if he were elected, but I feel like I haven't heard much about what Hoseman would like to do if he wins a second term. As you would say, what is your plan to make Mississippi a more free state and a more prosperous state? I want to hear them both answer that on a debate stage. I would like to see that as well, Ben, and I'm I'm offering to moderate such a debate and, uh, and pose uh, the questions and get their their thoughts on the key issues. I thought when we had Senator McDaniel on the program uh, six weeks or so ago, kept him for an entire hour, uh, we drilled down into many of those key issues and got his his uh, his take, his position on uh, on those. And so I thought that was really good. I look forward to a similar interview with the Lieutenant Governor, Delbert Hosman. We'll drill down into his thoughts on all of the key issues that I feel need to be addressed uh, in in our state, and there are some that you know haven't got a lot of traction. So Thomas and Greenwood says, be in energy independent, but buy it from foreigners if that's cheaper than domestic production. Well, you know how the energy independence situation works, Thomas. It doesn't mean that everything that's produced in the country in in the U.S., for example is then refined into usable fuel in the U- in the country. In fact, that's not the case. Energy independence simply means you produce enough to cover your consumption. We still, even during the energy independence era under Trump, we still export a lot of the crude oil we produce, and we import a lot of crude oil produced elsewhere, and that's because of the lack of refining capacity to correspond with the grade of oil uh, that is produced in this country relative and versus the grade of oil produced abroad. We send it abroad because they have the, the refineries to refine that grade of oil into usable fuel, gasoline, diesel. Uh, and, but we're energy independent from the perspective of we at least produce enough oil of all grades to cover our needs, but we send it abroad and then we bring it back in. Uh, once it's been refined, uh, just a, a just a clarification point there, because I, I I was confused about that as well until I started researching that through the I think it's the IEA, the Independent Energy Association, which which produces a, just a myriad of of data and statistics. It'll it'll kind of uh, hurt your head. It's it's so involved, so deep. But that's that's the bottom line of how that works. It glo- oil is a global commodity. The more the world is producing, the lower is the cost. And of course, the Saudis are not happy because they think that China is not not really reopening to the degree that was reported. You can't trust on ch- anything China says about that. And they cut production because they can't make money at that kind of a uh, $72, $73 a barrel price point. They cut production to drive the price up so they can make more money. So 
what we need is more refining capacity. But nobody's going to build more refineries because Joe Biden and the Democrats say we're going to wean the country off fossil fuels, and it's a 15-, 20-year investment. I think it was the CEO of Exxon that not so long ago say there will never be a new refinery, another refinery built in this country ever. So we'll keep shipping that grade of oil, uh, which we cannot refine in the U.S. overseas to to turn it into usable fuel. So Thomas says, um, do our Republican leaders in Mississippi fit the definition of fiscally responsible since we can't define conservative? So I simply ask the question, okay, define fiscally responsible, not being argumentative. And I said, should we cut teacher pay? That's the largest line item in the budget. Should we shrink corrections? So education, you guys know, that's 52 53% of our total spending. Next uh, on the list of, of objects is corrections, uh, or pardon me, Medicaid, and then corrections, and then it's all the rest of state government. But the, but the, the big consumers of, of our dollars are education, Medicaid, the state's portion of Medicaid, and correction. So it's, it's an issue um, in state government in that we just passed the largest budget in our history in the state, but, you know, what in that budget should we cut? I mean, that's always the, the, uh, the fundamental question. Should we cut our, our Medicaid spending? Because if we do, then we, well, then we risk federal dollars and we got to plug the hole there because of the matching program, should we cut corrections? We already have huge problems in corrections, uh, funding issues, uh, can't, don't have the money to pay for sufficient staff. Uh, the facilities are dilapidated and, and terrible and at risk of the Fed coming in and taking them over, as an example. Where should we cut? That's, the, that's always the hard question. PERS. PERS, we've talked about that extensively. And there's no additional money going into PERS. We didn't increase the employer contribution rate, but you know what? PERS has still got fiscal challenges ahead. We've discussed them that here on the program. So should we eliminate the PERS program? If we, uh, we're not going to expand Medicaid, clearly, but should we exit Medicaid? We could save a billion dollars a year by exiting Medicaid. Just tell the federal government, keep your $6 billion. And we won't we won't put up our one billion. We'll just we'll tell the the eight hundred thousand Mississippians enrolled in Medicaid, you're out. You got no coverage. And we'll just dump that on the healthcare community in our state. Fiscally responsible. I know there's always a big push by a lot, and and I'm I'm certainly with them with respect to consolidation of school districts. But uh, wow, you talk about a um, a thorny sensitive issue. When you start consolidating school districts, and, and certainly there are opportunities to do that in places where we certainly should do that, in my view, in the state of Mississippi. But those are difficult conversations nobody wants to have. And then you have the issue of, okay, what about board governance of these school districts? So you got two that are completely different in their, in their philosophy as far as the residents and their philosophy about uh, what a public school curriculum should look like and the operating model. Who wins out there when you start consolidating school districts? It's it's harder than just saying, okay, take this one and put it in that one and done deal. It's a lot, it's a lot more complicated than that, and it requires, uh, I think, some difficult, involved conversations from a lot of stakeholders. That's probably the first place we could truly see some 
some savings, although I don't think it's it's uh, it's significant. Get shad on. I've seen it. I know all about it, Thomas. You keep saying that. We're coming right back with more on midday. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. The great Sir Elton John bumping us into this segment here. We are at the Corner Market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Joining us now, Mike Salden, COO of Roberts Company, Inc., DBA Corner Market. Mike, how's it going? It's great. I, uh, I'm sorry I'm not sitting there with you. I'm, as I said, I'm headed up to Jackson, to one of our beautiful stores up here. We're uh, we did a little show store thing up here to bring our store directors in to show them what we want for the summer season, and we got a staff meeting up here, so I'm just about there. Well, did you encounter some rain en route north? A little bit. A little bit, and I think it's yeah. headed your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're watching it on the radar. So uh, since you left, i, I got to tell you, uh, I can't take credit for it, but uh, we've seen a lot of people uh, flowing into the store and making purchases, and uh, lots of the registers are open to accommodate the traffic, which is a good thing. It's Easter, and that's big time for you. That is a good thing, and that's one of the things I want people to know, that we will have the registers open. There's not going to be any waiting. Their time is precious. We know that. Come in, shop with us, eat with us, whatever works for you, and we will get you in and out really quick. That's something that's really really important to us and we're focused on. Absolutely, and I'm I'm witnessing it with my own eyes. And then, of course, my uh, my nose is also being tickled because across uh, the way here from my position in the store is the kitchen, and folks are lining up to uh, get the great eats. They always do a fantastic job. The thing I always notice, Mike, is that the, the people that work in the kitchen back there, they're always moving fast. They're trying to get oh, yeah. everybody taken care of as soon as possible. But, man, that food sure does look good. Um, all kinds of good stuff to choose from. They do a great job. We're we're proud of our staff back there. I tell you, if you if you really want to have a good day's work, go back there and work in the kitchen for a little bit. <laughs> it is hard. Those people earn their money, and you know the great thing is they'll be smiling. They're 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 proud of what they do. The food that they put out is fantastic. I eat in our delis every single day because, frankly, I don't think there's a better place to eat and a better value out there. So uh, come by and see them. It, it's a, it really is a good experience. It is awesome for sure. So we talked about it uh, before, as we do uh, around Easter every year. Is, is uh, Easter Sunday is a big day when families, of course, uh, go to church to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. But then, uh, sometime during the day, they're usually going to gather around for a big Easter meal. And and uh, Corner Market's the place to go to get everything you need to prepare that meal. What's popular? 
Absolutely. Well, you know, as we talked earlier, you, you, you know, for us, we just kind of sit back and say, okay, you know, what do we eat? What do our families eat? What do people want? And of course, we see from year to year, uh, you know, we've got, we've got fantastic things in the beef department. You know, ham is a big thing during Easter, but you know, a lot of people also like to do a steak or, or seafood. We've got that. Uh, produce department, of course, you've got everything you need for to making your own potato salad, to yams, and you know, if you don't want to make it, We've got it in the deli. Uh, great desserts, and then, of course, up and down the aisles, anything you want. So we'll be open Saturday, Friday and Saturday, but we are going to be closed on Easter because our uh, associates, our, our family members that work for us deserve a day off to be with their families. Absolutely. That is awesome. And, and, and something else we need to talk about is, is um, the fact that uh, Robert's company is just a good uh, corporate citizen in the community. You guys give back quite a bit. Well, we do, and I, I, you know, I want to take just this moment to reach out to our customers. We have recently partnered up with the USO. Now, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I did not know the USO is basically funded through donations. Uh, we went out to Camp Shelby, and, uh, you know, the USO is a great place for our soldiers to go uh, on base. And before they are deployed, they're not allowed to leave the base. I didn't know that. Wow. So this is a place where they have Wi-Fi to connect with their families. They have TVs. And, you know, we went out there and found out they, they needed some product. You know what they wanted? And it broke my heart. They were asking for water, and they were asking for Hot Pockets and Cup of Noodles. Wow. That's all, you know, these are people that are going overseas to protect us, and that's all yes. they wanted. So we've got some great sponsors. Coca-Cola stepped up. They've taken water out there. Community Coffee stepped up. They took a bunch of K-Cups because they love coffee. And what we found out a lot of times, the mess halls close when our soldiers come in from the field. And that's they awesome. just want something to snack on. So the Roberts family said, absolutely. So I want to ask our customers. We have the greatest customers in the world. You'll see a, a trailer parked at our corner markets that says, fill the trailer. This food, if you can, if you are so inclined, uh, a thing of Hot Pockets, uh, a cup of noodles, uh, a bag of chips, that goes directly to our troops that wow. are getting ready to go defend our freedom. So forgive me for getting long on that. I am wow, very, that's awesome. very proud to be part of that. And just, uh, I mean, that's just such an easy but such a small token of appreciation for such uh, an enormous service. And uh, really appreciate you guys doing that. Mike, we'll talk to you again in about an hour. Be careful, sir. And uh, I know you're doing good work up there in Jackson. Talk soon. Thank you. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. It is top of the hour. That means it's time for Fox News Super Talk News. When we return, Dr. Joe Paul, president of the University of Southern Mississippi. And now... The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, hour three of the program live today from the corner market. 
on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We thank you so much for joining us. And now in the Element Well Studios at the Corner Market is Dr. Joe Paul, president of the University of Southern Mississippi. Dr. Paul, great to have you on today, sir. Delighted to be with you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So what a great uh, pillar of the community is the corner market here in the Roberts Company, folks. Well, it certainly is. And it really goes back to the late, great Doc Roberts, who was a varsity golfer at Southern Miss in our uh, Athletics Hall of Fame, our University Hall of Fame, was a very generous donor and leader. Yeah. And then you go through Forrest Roberts and now David Roberts yep. uh, running the company. And I, I coach David Roberts in Little League. He's oh, a pretty good athlete. That's cool. That's really neat. So uh, just down the street here, University of Southern Mississippi, the Golden Eagles, uh, fantastic institution. Everything I read, Dr. Paul, things seem to be going very well for you down there. Well, they really are. You know, I was... Uh, uh, greeted as the 11th president with as much enthusiasm as I could have expected from anyone. Uh, we've got great academic enterprise. The faculty have been tremendous. And, you know, what I'm getting busy with is helping us grow this enrollment and maintain our Carnegie Research One status um, and, and creating a student life experience that's going to be second to none and distinctive from others. So every day is a wonderful challenge, and I get up ready to go. That's awesome, and congratulations, too, as well, for uh, becoming uh, the president. And I've heard nothing but positive uh, things about you. I I first met you a couple of months ago face-to-face at the Top 50 event and uh, enjoyed that. And when I saw you were going to be with us today, I was really excited about it. So uh, glad that you're here to share the story. Speaking of which, of course, you're talking about growing enrollment. What's your message as you're recruiting uh, potential students to USM? Well, I appreciate you asking that, you know, the University of Southern Mississippi is a comprehensive research one institution among the top 140 universities in America in terms of academic quality. When you add to that Division I athletics played at the high, highest level and be fully accredited in all the four major disciplines of the arts, art, music, theater, and dance, there are only 14 universities in the country that can claim all of those things. Mm-hmm. And yet our distinctiveness is size, scale, and personal attention. So our, our student-to-faculty ratio is 16 to 1. Our average class Class size is 22. We've got state-of-the-art facilities on a beautiful block of land uh, in the most strategic location in the state of Mississippi. What's not to come for? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And and certainly here, Hattiesburg, what a great, thriving, bustling community this is as well. Great place to go to school. Hattiesburg is a great place to go to school. It's sort of like the Austin of the Deep South. Yeah, uh, People come here to go to school, and they don't want to leave. In fact, our young mayor just walked in. He'll be up next. Uh, was a student of mine yeah. and was determined to stay in Hattiesburg. Got himself elected to the state legislature right out of school. <laughs> right. right, And now is in his second term as our mayor. Yeah, And, and I also want to tell you, Gerard, we, we have an exceptional relationship between the University of Southern Mississippi and the city of Hattiesburg. And, and not only with the mayor and the city council, uh, former student government president uh, Jeffrey George is on that council. Toby was vice president of student government. But our local legislators, Missy McGee and Chris Johnson, uh, Joey Fillingame, uh, John Polk, they support this university uh, as strongly as, as they possibly can in Jackson. So we're just thankful to be in a community where people understand the importance of the institution, 
uh, to the welfare of the city and the region and support us that way. Yeah, and, and I agree with you on that too, Dr. Paul. I can attest to that, uh, having interviewed uh, all of those folks and, and gotten to know them, certainly as part of uh, this role at Supertalk. Uh, but they do. They care a lot about uh, the university, and they do understand how critical it is that the university and the local community and the state are, are integrated and working positively for good uh, good outcomes. Speaking of outcomes, certainly it, it makes sense to talk about the great student experience that a prospective student could expect at USM. But the goal, of course, is to prepare them for life post uh, their higher education. How are we doing there at USM as far as getting those students placed in, in uh, you know their, their occupation of choice and then becoming productive citizens in our country? Well, we're doing extremely well. I've always said a part of the Southern Miss story, part of our culture is a culture of grit where we set audacious goals and then we pursue them with passion and persistence. We don't stop at the first no. We never give up. We never give in. And that pervades our students and makes them marketable in the workplace. So we've got so many programs. I'll name a few, not to the exclusion of others, sure. where, where every student usually has multiple jobs waiting for them when they graduate. One would be nursing. Uh, another certainly would be education, uh, forensic science and criminal justice, multiple job offers, construction management, multiple job offers for every graduate. Accounting, of course, yeah. you just can't get enough. Yeah. Uh, and I could go on and on with that. Uh, sp- certainly, for example, in audiology, speech and language therapy. So there is a just a strong correlation between the quality of education they get and having programs that are Real world relevant, yeah, and seeing our our graduates uh, be placed professionally and 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 advance to the top from there. Well, certainly the list you just cited, all in demand. Yeah, I didn't even mention polymer science and engineering. Yeah, which is ocean. very unique to oh, incredibly so. Yeah. And ocean science and engineering along the coast. We're going to start a new physician assistance program uh, at our Gulf Park campus that'll that'll probably be launching in 2025. Uh, so anything in the healthcare profession. You know, the state needs more health care providers. No doubt about it. So uh, related to that, how do uh, how does the university, how does it collaborate with the private sector to make sure that the programs, the curriculum is aligned to prepare the students for the jobs that are right. waiting for them? You, you, you know, we've got great leadership in our in our deans and in our school directors that almost all have business advisory or professional advisory groups that help them. Uh, two areas that jump immediately to mind are construction management, where they've got an advisory board of uh, construction and dredging company CEOs that stretches all throughout the southeast. We've got a, a large business advisory council. So you want to get on the front end of that sure. so that you're creating a dialogue between our faculty and academic leaders and the changing needs needs of business and industry, education, whatever it may be. We've got an education program that goes beyond the old traditional six or nine weeks of student teaching. It's an immersion program where a student in their senior year will be in and out of a school district throughout the year. So they basically graduate as a one-year experienced teacher. Do you feel like that model is critical to ensuring that the education content, the curriculum, et cetera, uh, keep pace with the needs of society. That's what we rely on our, our higher ed institutions for. Well, absolutely. And not only that, but when you think of us as a major research institution, yeah. our faculty are not only keeping pace with what's out there, but they're creating the next yeah. innovation, yeah. the next model. So 
when you look at our Mississippi Gulf Coast, we're really the gateway to the Gulf economy. So we're doing things in unmanned uh, uh, sea vessels, surface and underground, that are attracting industry to Mississippi and that are serving people all over the world. Mm-hmm. So it's about staying in touch, but it's also about being out on the cutting edge okay. of research, discovery, and innovation so that you're making sure you're you know, those same professors are teaching our undergraduates, yeah. graduate students. Makes sense. And making sure that, they've, that they're right on the edge of what's next. And much of those efforts uh, end up being commercialized. They very well uh, can in many instances. Which is uh, just incredible. What, what's on the horizon for USM, Dr. Paul, before we go? Tell us uh, tell us what's on the boards. Well. That you can. <laughs> sure. You know, I'm, I'm about the business of building it uh, as a senior executive team, and that's moving along quite 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 well we're putting a real emphasis on uh, a student life experience where our students actually help lead the institution more to come on that Uh, a facility need we need down the road is for a science research center uh, in Hattiesburg to uh, provide the facilities for biology, chemistry, biochemistry uh, that keeps them on the cutting edge and grows those graduate programs and those in that funded research. All of that's incredibly important. Uh, we will very soon have a new criminal justice and forensic science building. We're at about a 400 enrollment there, and and the cap on it is the facility, and and. And with some help from the legislature over the last two years, we're going to have a new facility and be able to grow that enrollment to 700 the day we open the door. Wow. What's the total enrollment now? It's about 14,000 students when you look at graduate, undergrad at Hattiesburg, Gulf Coast. Yeah. And, um, and you're drawing people from all over the world, essentially, are you not? Uh, certainly. Many, many countries. There's yeah. a program uh, on the coast in hydrographic science uh, that literally draws people from all over the world. Governments are sending their employees there for that. Uh, but, but certainly we still take pride in, 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 in being the university that has the highest percentage of Mississippi residents yeah. we're educating. Yep. And, and also we're a very attractive uh, institution for students in Alabama, yep. in Louisiana, in Houston, in Dallas, and into the Florida Panhandle. So. Well, uh, I've enjoyed the conversation, uh, Dr. Paul, and it, it, University of Southern Mississippi, truly a treasured asset for the state of Mississippi, and we're glad you're at the helm. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Enjoyed yep. visiting with you. Yes, sir, I did too. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Once again, we're at the Corner Market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. When we return, it's the mayor of Hattiesburg, Toby Barker. Stay with us. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Corner Market. 
on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And joining us now, the mayor of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Mayor Toby Barker. Uh, mayor, good to see you. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, glad to have you back in Hattiesburg. Yeah, absolutely. What a great uh, organization this is, the Roberts Company and, and Corner Market, quite the asset uh, for Hattiesburg. We're very proud of a multi-generation family. It's continued to grow their business around the state and really invested back in the back in the city's core as well yeah no doubt good good people that uh understand it's important to be a good corporate citizen and give back to the community and those aren't just mere words to this organization they put it into practice into action so we're, we're proud of them as being part of the mississippi corporate family things seem to be doing quite well here in hattiesburg i mean every time i come down whether i'm driving through or are coming to eat uh, with friends, playing golf, what have you. Seems like a bustling place to me. It's a really exciting time to, to be in Hattiesburg, and from you know our, our universities to the businesses coming in to uh, the job growth we've seen to the parks investments and all the events that we have uh, in and around our city. It, it's spring is a really good time. In fact, we're kind of talking to our city workforce and said, "Hey, buckle up! You know, we're going to have every weekend's going to be busy till Memorial Day, so we're <laughs> kind of getting ready for that." How's it going? Uh, uh, always got to ask mayors this. How are we doing financially? What's uh, what's it look like? The city's unwell, and of course, like most cities, we've seen sales tax numbers uh, as the state has seen uh, increase, and we, I, th- I believe, we've set records in 24 of the last 28 months, yeah. and which bodes well. Obviously, things cost more now sure. uh, with that, but uh, but the city's doing well, and and we're we're really excited about the the ability to go take on some new projects thanks to not only our our partners in D.C., our congressional delegation, but also our state legislative delegation, who has really kind of bought into this idea that we don't have to be measured in our vision. They're going to go after big things. They're going to help us secure the resources to do that. The uh, kind of repetitive theme I hear from uh, city leaders, municipal leaders across the state is uh, that their infrastructure is aging, and they're trying to ensure that, that it is maintained and uh, and upgraded, modernized to accommodate uh, growth, accommodate population. Sometimes just it, even without growth, it's just wearing out, and they got to update it uh, just to keep pace. How's it going here? Well, uh, with most cities 140 years old, things are going to break. Yeah. Um, I think the three things that the legislature has really done well Back in 2018, passing the Mississippi Infrastructure Modernization Act, which dedicated part of the use tax to cities. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the first full year of, of full implementation. And, and for, for us, that means about $10 million a year just off use tax. Now, okay. we're, we're taking on some big projects and trying to tackle those things. Um, and we also look at uh, – sorry, $5 million a year. I'm sorry. Yeah. We, we also look at what Lieutenant Governor Hoseman led on, along with the House and Senate, to create the matching grant program for the ARPA money. Right. Uh, that means that Hattiesburg has been able to turn $12.8 million into $20 million because we spent that money on water, sewer, and stormwater. And then also just this session to see the legislature – Continue to fund the emergency, you know, road and bridge repair fund, um, which is a huge cost because those things typically come out of nowhere, and you have to either close them or, or, or rebuild them right then. And so, uh, we got a really nice lick there. And then, of course, you know, as part of the the bills this year, we, we were able to secure some funding to continue our midtown development, which is where we are now, uh, which will go hand in hand with uh, with the Jones Company's corporate headquarters being built just south of campus. And so, uh, the legislature really has been a valuable partner for us in, in trying to tackle some long overdue deferred maintenance yeah 
And, and uh, of course, you coming from there and um, still have uh, contacts there, have a great uh, delegation uh, from the Hattiesburg and, uh, area, the Lamar Forest counties in, uh, in particular, really good folks on both sides uh, of the capital that uh, always seem to have Hattiesburg uh, in mind when they're lawmaking. We do, and, and, and we have just a great delegation, you know, Chris Johnson and John Polk and Joey Fillingain and Juan Burnett on the Senate side and Misty McGee and uh, Kent McCarty and Percy Watson on the House side. And, and really, you know, we've got eight or nine people who will go to bat for us every year. And, yeah. and we try to build consensus around kind of what our project is for that year. And uh, and, and we just have a delegation that, that loves the city and loves the universities. And and really, it's it's exciting to see everyone pulling in the same direction right yeah. now. When you think about quality of life, uh, typically you're going to measure that in terms of of obviously where you live in the municipal area, you think about what are the elements of a high quality of life, um, great schools, great neighborhoods, uh, access to health care, um, infrastructure, all of those kind of figure into that, public works, recreational facilities. You've got all that here in Hattiesburg, do you not? We do. The thing I think we're most excited about and proud of, of is that Every school district in Forest Lamar County this year is an A district. Yeah. And, and I think about Hattiesburg Public Schools, which is over 90% free and reduced lunch. I went from a D to an A in one year. And a wow. lot of that was growth, but but we, we're really starting to see the early childhood education start to really take root. And the kindergarten readiness is leading to elementary schools. Four of our five elementary schools are A schools this year. Uh, our high school jumped from uh, an F to a B. And we've got a really strong school board and a great superintendent and creating those partnerships between the universities and the city and the school district has been really well. Like next week, we've got our student summer job fair where we bring in not only city jobs but places like, you know, Corner Market and all the restaurants to so high school students can go and see what jobs are available for them this summer to keep them, one, out of trouble, but also give them some valuable work experience and, and earn, ways to earn cash. And then the thing I think that we've introduced that I'm really excited about is our Parade of Champions in May. Every high school team that won a state championship, every college team that won a conference championship or greater, or a valedictorians, you know, we, we bring the whole city into downtown and we honor all of those at one time and um, and we have a lot of great young people in the city of Hattiesburg who are doing some really amazing things. That is awesome and of course uh, another key asset that, that uh, you have, uh, fortunate to have right in your midst is the, the university, University of yeah. Southern Mississippi. We just had of course uh, Dr. Paul on the program. Uh, it's important is it not that uh, there's collaboration there in, in open communication and shared goals and mission between when they're, when they're housed in your town, you have to consider that. Well, and, you know, Dr. Paul was a huge mentor to me as a student, and, and I think for so many of us, it's like seeing your dad get the promotion he always <laughs> deserved. And so uh, to see such a positive leader who leads from the front, who is has more energy than anyone I've ever met, uh, going out, recruiting students, paying, you know, visiting those schools, even our own area that we have, we've missed on for, for some time, uh, recruiting um 
and and for what they're doing on campus. We have a very close relationship with USM and also William Carey. Let's let's sure. not forget Absolutely. that William Carey is on Dodge Subaro on earlier. The largest medical school in the state. Unbelievable um, program. And and so having both those universities that are really kind of filling different sides of the equation uh, continues to bring more college students and more faculty here, and it just adds to that momentum that we have. Yeah. The legislative session. Uh, your thoughts about that? Were you pleased with that? Were there things you got done? You're glad about things you wanted to get done that uh, didn't happen. Well, I think that the worst sessions and the hardest ones are the ones where you actually have money. Yeah. And so uh, I think that you know the House and Senate and you know the Speaker and Lieutenant Governor, uh, especially the people underneath them, you know Briggs Hobson and yep. and Trey and, and Josh and and, uh, and Jason White and John Reed all did a great job with all the people that were pulling on them. I do think that. The legislature in future years, hopefully next year, is going to have to start tackling this PERS issue. And, you know, a PERS board that can unilaterally raise employer contributions, uh, for us, that means, you know, a, a 28% increase in our retirement costs. And, and they pushed it back to July 1st of 24. Right. The problem is we've got a budget for that this fall because right. our fiscal years run to September 30th. And that's about a million and a half dollar cost to the city of Hattiesburg, a recurring cost that we will have to take on. And I think every county and school district is in the same situation. And so while $100 million more for for K-12 is great, they're going to need that just to cover their retirement share. And uh, and so finding sustainable solutions in in an area where everyone is afraid to even talk about it is going to have to be a priority for the legislature and for the PERS board themselves because we cannot... You can't keep just raising the employer contribution. Uh, it's it's unsustainable. Right. And uh, and it, this is someone you know who hopes that PERS is there yep. in a few years when, uh, sure. when I hope we retire. But I think everybody wants a strong public retirement system, but we have to be willing to make some systemic changes uh, that will ensure that PERS is there for you know my generation and the generation behind me. Well, I applaud you for bringing it up because I'm not sure how often you get to listen to the program, but I bring it up on a regular basis, and I and I uh, pose the question about PERS and its its stability and its solvency and its in its future path to everybody in the legislature and all the statewide leaders because they don't want to deal with it. It's a thorny issue. It's a sensitive issue, but if we don't. The worst is going to happen. We got to start dealing with it and addressing it, and then uh, I think it's going to take a lot of smart people in a room to figure out what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, Mayor Toby Barker of Hattiesburg has been our guest on Middays. We thank you for joining us. We are at the Corner Market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We're coming right back. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back 
in the Element Well Studios today on the road in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, at the corner market on Hardy Street. We thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really hope you enjoyed the interviews we've had today. I certainly have enjoyed talking to all the great folks uh, from around the Hub City area in the Pine Belt of Mississippi. Larry and Mize asks on the ceasefire text line, did I miss your comparison between Chris and Delbert and your definition of conservatism? You missed some of it, uh, Larry, but uh, happy to review a bit without trying to restate uh, much of what we discussed. But I, I shared with the audience what you sent me yesterday is what how you define conservatism. And the reason I pose that question to people is that there's no consensus. And often people talk at the very high abstract level, and uh, no disrespect, Larry, but, but you did, sir, honestly, is like, okay, specifically translate that into policies. So when you said yesterday that stop spending like a drunken sailor, okay, I agree, spending is, is too high. Clearly it's too high when we're generating at the federal level deficits. You can't really say that about the state government because in, in terms of, of how to define excess spending because it does not exceed our revenue. In fact, we're producing s- surpluses. Does that mean that we shouldn't hone in on where we could reduce spending and eliminate uh, waste, fraud, and rebu- abuse uh, in government and unnecessary duplicative spending? No, absolutely. We ought to constantly be looking for that in ways to improve efficiencies and, um, and, and just reduce overall outflows. Totally agree with that. But at the federal level, okay, what do you want to cut? I did have a uh, lengthy discussion about that, and I've done that several times on the program because even at Washington, when you see these high-level senators and members of the House, we just got to cut the reckless spending. Okay, what specifically? And the first thing Kevin McCarthy comes back with, well, we got to make sure Joe Biden doesn't forgive student loans. Well, that's not cutting spending. That's eliminating future spending potential spend. It's not even eliminating, it's avoiding it. So you're not cutting. I'm talking about how do you balance the budget today? You said, Larry, that you're you're uh, 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 in support of balancing the federal budget. I agree. I am too. So there, there are two ways to do that. Actually, three. Just like there is in solving the PERS and the Social Security problem. You either got to increase revenues, decrease spending, or a combination of the two. Well, uh Increasing revenues generally means increasing taxes. You indicated you're not for increasing taxes. I think you actually said you're for elimination of the income tax. If I misstated, uh, let me know. But, um, yeah, so I I get it. Uh, Let's see, I'm looking at it. Income tax is theft, and end it now is what you said. So, okay, I, I, I get it. That's a that's a fairly common refrain we hear from from those who oppose income taxes. But then, how should the government raise revenue for, uh, and what should the government? be spending money on just looking real quick here william and brandon says how about cutting salaries everybody wants to focus on this three hundred thousand dollars to the state superintendent twice the governor's pay okay sure cut the cut the superintendent's pay but what does that do to the outcomes education outcomes in my view what if we could spend a million dollars on a superintendent and all the schools could be an a how about that and more importantly we would, could retain our, our best and brightest talent right here in the state of Mississippi. What does that cost? In the private sector, generally speaking, it costs more to get higher quality talent. So I'm not arguing with you about that, but okay, cut it to what? 
100 k 200 k That's peanuts in a $7 billion budget. What about the $250 million, $220 million increase for teacher pay? Should we cut that? Because that's where the, most of the money is, $220 million versus $150,000. It's, it's like um, putting a Band-Aid on a, on a heart attack, so to, so to speak. But in my view, I'll, I'll just discuss what um, I feel are the principles of conservatism. It starts with looking at the federal government specifically. It is here, and it, it was instituted by our founders to protect the rights bestowed upon us by our Creator under natural law. It is not here to to uh, provide and grant rights. It's to protect those which um, uh, were were bestowed upon us by uh, a higher a higher being, and and uh, that also includes the sanctity of life, uh, freedom of speech. That's integral to those efforts. Religion, freedom of press and assembly, uh, just kind of discussing that at a high at the highest level that's essential to to having a, a, a prosperous and good functioning society the federal government should limit its powers to only those named in the constitution um, individuals and families make better decisions for themselves their families and their children about their health their education and their overall welfare than does government Our economy is best served when it's built around free enterprise and economic freedom and private property, as we talked about earlier, and that requires uh, the rule of law, and it requires strict adherence to the rule of law, and that's sustained by policies that promote overall economic freedom and eliminate government impediments to the pursuit of success and profit and excellence from a tax perspective it's real simple our tax policies should just produce the minimum revenue as necessary to fund only constitutionally appropriate functions the problem with that statement is that it's it's a it's a bit abstract because you can't get people to agree on what is the what are the constitutionally appropriate functions of government that that therein is is where the um uh the debate is centered and occurs and and becomes contentious and controversial so just as as some examples of kind of where i see uh, from a legal perspective yeah forgot about that judges should interpret and apply our law uh, based on the Constitution and their original meaning and not be activist judges. I'm reminded of a Supreme Court election, folks, in the state of Wisconsin. Went down on Tuesday. $45 million spent to elect a Supreme Court justice, which is now in the state of Wisconsin uh, because so many feared uh, tightening abortion restriction, they just elected a very left-leaning Supreme Court justice. They shouldn't be left or right. They should interpret the law uh, as as written and, uh, and and as meant, as intended. And they should consider both financial and liberty aspects of that when they interpret and apply that law from a regulatory perspective. Real simple, uh, in my view that regulations should only be uh, implemented in such a way that they produce net benefit 
to America. You got to weigh out financial costs, cost of freedom when implementing regulations. I believe we need some reasonable regulatory framework, but it but it should not be such that it it um, uh, accomplishes or attempt to attempts to accomplish some sort of social justice uh, or overall social agenda. That's the way I see it. With respect to um, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman and and Chris McDaniel, I think they depart on some of the key issues. I I, I do. I think, uh, for example, let's talk taxes. I think Chris McDaniel would like to see income taxes eliminated. Uh, I don't get that same feeling uh, from Chris McDaniel. Uh, uh, pardon me, from uh, Delbert Hoseman. I don't I don't think he supports that. I think uh, Chris supports the citizen initiated ballot measure process um, that would have a lower signature threshold. I don't I don't get that impression. I, well, I know it, I, it, it's the case with uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. He's indicated he doesn't support that. You know, the bill that I really uh, got pretty worked up over this session, HB 401, I believe, is the one that restricts the sale of automobiles in Mississippi to only independently owned brick-and-mortar franchise locations. Uh, Senator McDaniel voted against that bill, and uh, the Lieutenant Governor supported it. So, uh, in that case, uh, I'm in the uh, Chris McDaniel's camp. I thought that was bad legislation. I still do believe, and I think it'll ultimately be uh, repealed. You could talk about Medicaid expansion, for example. You know, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman seems to tacitly support that whenever I've talked to him, but he's also acknowledged that that's not a silver bullet solution. Chris McDaniel opposes that. I would just say this, and it's not in in favor of or in opposition to Medicaid expansion. Okay, then what? What do we do? How do we fix this health care problem in the state of Mississippi? And by problem, I mean there's, an eco- there's a serious economic problem we have where these, these, uh, these health care institutions are really struggling financially. How do we address that problem? H- how do we fix that problem? Um, those are some of the, I think, the major distinctions, the major policy issues. When you talk about reducing spending in the state of Mississippi, would you be for in favor, uh, Larry, for example, would you be in favor of reducing PERS benefits? How about that as a way to save money? I, I suspect you participate in PERS. Would you be in favor of that? Because that's a huge cost, and it is and it is upside down financially. It's not sustainable financially. Either that or we're going to have to increase taxes. I think that would uh, probably be objectionable to you in both uh, both ways. So, anyhow, we're running out of time in this segment. When we come back, we've got Mike Salden, the CEO of the Roberts Company at Corner Market. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back, everyone. Middays live from the Corner Market on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. And joining us now, Mike Souden, Roberts Company, Inc., Corner Market. That's how they operate. He is the COO of the Roberts Company. Mike, how's it going, sir? 
It's wonderful up here in Jackson. Looking at the store up here, and it's it's exciting. But for those that have not made it up to Jackson, this store is in the Bondren district, and we just remodeled it. It's absolutely beautiful. I do say so myself. So we would like to invite anybody to come by here and look at it. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great location as well, and uh, yes, I know is. you've got lots of customers that live around there in the area, and what an asset it is for them to have uh, the store so close by to where they live and where many of them work as well. Uh, those who live in Fondren, you, you typically find work around uh, uh, the city of Jackson in the central business district area, so that's fantastic. That is that is uh, great, and i got to believe you got the same dedicated and hard-working staff in the store there as you do in all the stores we we do you know we th- this store is relatively new to our family but it's amazing how fast uh, we all assimilated you know we, it's funny when you treat people with respect they, they, they tend to like it and they treat each other with respect and it's just a this, this is a fantastic we we've got four stores up here and we're proud of each and every one of them so uh we, we invite our customers when they're in the jackson area to please stop by and see us Absolutely. You're so right about that. When you treat uh, your people right, uh, they tend to channel that right through to your customers, and they treat your customers right, and that's what keeps them coming back and uh, keeps the doors open, so to speak. Absolutely. To me, it's the simplest thing in the world, and unfortunately, a lot of times, the most overlooked thing in the world is just, you know, yeah. respect and please and thank you, and, you know, you want the our employees to be wonderful to our customers. Well, how can we expect that if we're not wonderful to our employees? So it's, yeah, just, it's, it's, it's a win-win. Great point. So it's the big Easter weekend is upon us here. Holy Thursday, tomorrow, Good Friday, of course, Easter Sunday. It's uh, it's a busy time for the corner markets. It, it is, and I'll tell you, you know, I told you earlier that it normally starts a little bit later on Thursday night. Well, I'm happy to say here in the Fondon area, it started already. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's fantastic. The store is crowded. Uh, we're ready for business, you know, and, and, and people are smiling. This is a really fun family holiday and you can tell people absolutely enjoy it uh it's really been since christmas and since we've had anything like that so they're they're hungry for it things are just uh going very well right now It's, it's fun to see yeah, absolutely. So I know in the past, Mike, you, you have discussed uh, certain items you have available in the stores that might not be available in some of your competitor stores. Is that is there any situations like that this year? Well, we have local. We have local produce. We have uh, signature items. When the customer looks around, they'll see a big green sticker that says signature items. Those are exclusive just to us. We have twice baked potatoes so that you don't have to, you know, you can take them home, put them in the oven. We've got chips that we make right there in our in our store. We've got dry-aged beef that you can't find anywhere else. We've got uh, berry bird cakes, which is a very... I mean, we sell a ton of berry bird cakes. But you, those type of things you can only find in our stores, and we pride ourselves in that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so what about the hours of the store for throughout the weekend, just so folks will know? We'll have our normal hours through Saturday. Uh, you know, most of the stores close at 9. We've got a couple that close at 10, but Sunday we will be closed. We want our employees to spend time with their family. That's important to us. And the Roberts family yeah. is incredibly generous with that to, to close all 20 stores for a day so, so that uh, our folks can be with their families. That's important. 
Yeah, we just had, uh, by the way, the mayor of Hattiesburg, Toby Barker, on the program, and and we were discussing uh, the Roberts family, the stores, and and what a great asset they are for Hattiesburg, for the Pine Belt area. And I tell you, he was very complimentary of the organization. Well, that's that's great to hear. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a partnership. You know, we we're part of the city, we're part of the, the Pine Belt, and we we want to be a vital part of that. So this that's 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 great to hear. Yeah, it's um, and it's clear that when you see people coming in here, I get the feeling a lot of these are, are customers that uh, come in here on a regular basis. I mean, this this is their store, so to speak, and and that's the way we are from a consumption perspective. We we kind of acquire those habits, and as long as you're being taken care of, you keep going back. You're you're absolutely right, and what we keep preaching to all of our people is, you know, you you can take care of a customer, but you can also lose one really fast. Yeah, we we can't yeah. we can't afford that. You know what Absolutely. I'd rather do is take care of a customer that went somewhere else and have a bad experience, and have them come to us and say, you know, welcome. We're glad yeah. to be, we want you here. But we have to Absolutely. be very cautious of that. Fan, fantastic business philosophy, Mike, and I, I really respect that. And also appreciate you having us uh, here today at the Corner Market and appreciate you checking in with us. Always a pleasure, sir. Congratulations on your success and uh, to the Roberts for building a great company and you running it for them. We are out of time here uh, today, folks. It's been uh, a great day in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We're going to be off tomorrow. Best of shows airing all day. Folks, have a great and happy and safe Easter. Stay safe. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.